Glad you could join us for this installment of Clone Wars, an Orphan Black podcast. My name is Mike. And I'm Dave. And tonight we're here to talk about Season 2, Episode 6 of BBC America's Orphan Black that aired on May 24th, 2014. The episode is titled To Hound Nature in Her Wanderings. And remember, you can access this show and all of our Orphan Black shows through both the Lost Girl podcast, Fatalist, and Liberate a Continuum podcast. So as long as you subscribe to either podcast, you'll automatically receive our Orphan Black discussions in your feed. Or if you prefer, you can go directly to continuumpodcast.com or fatalists.podbean.com to listen. And you can also subscribe through Stitcher. All right, cool. Well, some good news. We, we're trending upward once again, up 6% this week over the magic half million mark and of course it's only magic to me but uh <laughs> yeah uh, but you know again as long as we keep trending upwards that's obviously a good sign and we do have titles for episodes seven to nine but not the season finale that's set to air on june 21st so it looks like they're just going to run 10 straight that's that's great no no hiatus is a good thing i mean i haven't heard anything about season three of you no and I think we would have heard by now in season one. I, I can't remember, actually, since we weren't podcasting about it. Well, no, uh, I did go back and check. And by this time, you know, the, it had been renewed. But okay. I, I find it difficult to believe it's not going to be renewed for a season three. I mean, it's I think the numbers are fine. And certainly the critical acclaim is, is through the roof. To, to me, it's the most remarkable that they didn't increase it as they did with Continuum to 13 episodes. But I guess they're going to keep it at 10 because of the, like you said, staying around the 500,000 viewership mark. We got a lot happening tonight, as always. And, you know, before we get to Sarah and Helena's road trip, uh, <laughs> you know, why don't we talk about Felix and Art? Perhaps the actually, you know what? In this week's episode, Mike, there were a number of humorous scenes and, and certainly Felix and Art won. Uh, you know, Felix is just losing his sanity, I guess, you know, alcohol, probably drugs, although we don't see the drugs, painting yeah. furiously. Yeah, not a bad painting, actually. <laughs> you know, I was wondering, you know, that'll be our next step after, you know, what we what we were able to learn from Continuum. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's true. But I'll tell you what's mostly the case with Felix is that he's acting like a character in a fiction story. I mean, you think about whenever a character loses their all, all their sense of purpose, you wonder what's that character going to do? I mean, more so than, than a human would do. Because of course, I feel like Felix should have his own life. But really, once he loses his uh, direction from Sarah, <laughs> it's like you said, he loses it. And fortunately, art gives him a purpose. Yeah. And it's easy to, you know, kind of come down hard on him. Look, he's an adult. Yeah. Know, just because he's you know, separated from his foster sister. That doesn't mean he should lose, as you said, all purpose, but clearly he doesn't. And he phrases it, I think, pretty eloquently when he tells Art, I've been demoted from babysitter to bargaining chip. Right. And that's actually putting it fairly simply, because we can't ignore the fact that how can you blame someone who from kind of losing it when they get falsely arrested? That's not something that happens every day. No, right. And, and he brings that up to Art. And, you know, now the other thing that that's kind of interesting is, is Art's involvement in all of this and how Sarah's coming more and more to trust Art. 
Yeah, he's providing a big chunk of her investigative arm now because she's having to be out in the field. Right. So he's the one that's uh, doing the deep background and, you know, really wanting Felix to help out. And Felix is the one that makes the uh, Peckham connection to the fact that it was a stolen identity that Duncan was using. So Felix was not without his uses during that whole spreading all the photographs out on the board kind of Right, detective work. <laughs> right after he regains consciousness, has some has some of Art's coffee, and then, like you said, sees all the photos and and documentation Art has up on the boards in his apartment. But like you said, I mean, he plays a big role making that connection. And uh, Art does bring up the eye scratched out image that that we even mentioned last week. Yeah, and so there were some more uh, with the nuns, right? A yeah. nun picture. Yeah. yeah. And uh, again, as we said, uh, who knows? And, and I think Felix even says, hey, what do I know? Yep, they're just there to provide the facts, and then Sarah has to do with it what she will. Yep. Now, the other humorous scene is uh, certainly Allison in rehab, and she is not a cooperative rehabian. That's an actual <laughs> word. I well, just made that up. <laughs> I like it. But uh, the thing is, we can see where Allison is coming from. She feels like she's been wrongly put here, and that's true to a certain extent. But at the same time, she's not owning up to the fact that, as she puts it, she's a bottle hider. Yeah. And that's a good way to describe it. Yeah. And that's not even to mention the pills that she was taking. Exactly. And, and, uh, and then, you know, if, if that's not enough, then we've got Vic strolling in. and I am you... so happy to see this character back. He was one of my favorites in season one, and I thought we had seen the last of him. Yeah, and, you know, it's it's difficult to get a read on him because, look, Vic is all cleaned up, and he seems to be participating actively in his rehabilitation, even to the point of going over uh, probably the edge, as, <laughs> as Allison even tells him, enough with the Buddha stuff. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, how much do we... Do we think that this is a true state of Vic and how much of it is just an act that he's putting on to get through right. the rehab. And, right. And we, I don't even think we would think that until we re arrive at the scene when he goes outside and gets in the car with Angie. Yeah. Now, what do you think, Dave? Because I'm thinking that he was on this path already before Angie recruited him. Yeah, um, I agree too. But the, the one wrench in the works is the fact that he did seem surprised to see Allison in that rehab group. And was that just good acting on his part? Because I, I think he would have been put on the path by Angie at that point. Right. No, I think he was surprised. And, uh, you know, she's apparently agreed to have his record cleared. And you said, um, what, what did he think he was doing? Getting dirt on Allison? Well, how did he think he was going to do that? Yeah, and and what dirt specifically is he looking to get? I don't think I don't even think Angie knows the answer to that. No, I mean of everybody, she knows the least. Right. So I think they're going to be kind of frustrated in their efforts. But Vic has some very good advice. I mean, Donnie comes to visit. He doesn't bring the kids. Uh, she tells him, you know, once this is all over, you'll have nowhere to hide. Yeah. Now, what does that mean? Well, I think she's just referring to the fact that she knows he's the monitor. Okay. She's not going to let him keep denying it, which he clearly is still. But uh, Vic actually points out to her that I think he must have heard the platitude somewhere in his recovery. Anger is a tool, and we use it on problems, not people. And I think Allison is going to have to try and maybe use some use some other tactics to get at Donnie, because Donnie is holding a lot of power in this situation. Yeah, but it's got to be tough, because he's got her kids. Yeah. And, and, you know, he he's 
acting as if it's going to be business as usual. And boy, she may, no, not even a peck on the cheek. No. Yeah. She wants, wants nothing. Like she's going to have to give him something in order to, you know, get back in the good graces, even if she can then afterwards pursue the battle with him. Yeah. But you know, this episode also kind of brought it into focus for me, what their relationship must've been like all this time on his end. Yeah. You know, was it a total acting job? Yeah, I mean, that's true, because she ha- did have a lot of power in season one, and kind of took a, a little bit of flack uh, from Sarah at the time, I remember. So, yeah, this is kind of the tables being turned. So yeah. it's her turn to eat some humble pie, as she puts it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Although yeah. she was referring to something else, but still, it applies to both situations. All right, now, Delphine and Cosima are hard at work in the lab, and, and we get a new addition to the team. Oh my gosh, what a surprise to see Scott coming in from Delphine's old job, or actually Delphine and Cosima's old job. Yeah, what a goof. (laughs) But he's got some real contributions right off the bat. And although he's kind of a little bit too curious, because it says that Dr. Leakey personally approved this application, yet he comes in and the first thing he does is, there's something not quite right about this antidote that that Cosima is giving her this uh what is it the stem cell injection he says it comes from a very near match to all the clones and wonders if there's a sister or a daughter in the picture so are they getting these stem cells somehow from uh kira surely not they have no access to her well i know unless at some point they extracted whatever it is they need and even with the injections, the, I think the first scene we see is that Cosima seems to be tolerating the injections okay. Delphine thinks it's promising, but you know, like he mentions that Leaky approved his application, but it, it seems to me, well, isn't it Cosima that that basically brings Scott on board and then gets Leaky's approval? Well, it seems like she was a bit railroaded, though, wasn't she, Cosima? Oh, okay. Well, she seemed like she didn't want anything to do with it. And Delphine knew more about it than she did. And she initially told him, no, we're not hiring right now and was kind of talked into it. Right. Well, regardless, I mean, if he's working for Leaky, then obviously we don't know whether we can trust him or not. Right. But I don't know if Dr. Leaky knows what he's getting in, in for because Scott is proving to be maybe a little bit too curious for his own good. Right. And when, they, <laughs> when they're ready to show him the door, or, when, or I should say when Cosima's ready to show him the door, I know about the clones. Yeah, he's drawn his own own conclusions without yep. any information at all. So so the question is, is the fact that Delphine tells Scott not to tell Cosima anything about this stem cell donor being such a close match for the clones, she's still got the de- the deceptive streak. Yeah. And so, you know, is she as deceptive as Leaky apparently is? Because she could actually still have a Leaky-like agenda or a, a neolutionist agenda. Because obviously neolutionism comes into this in some other plot lines as we start dealing with uh, Mr. Peckham slash Duncan. <laughs> right. Now, the other thing is he understands that we're talking about human clones and he says, can I see one? Yeah. And and at that point, we're, we are certainly, uh, it's abundantly clear that he has no idea right. that it's Cosima. And I guess really, how could he? I mean, but obviously it's not going to be long before Sarah finds her way to the lab. All right. Well, that's true. I never thought of that. Somehow Scott's going to see another one. <laughs> well, and, and the point is, Scott's not going to think it's a twin. 
No. <laughs> no. And uh, the fact that Cosimo would have such easy access to this clone material, uh, he's going to definitely draw his own conclusions, as he did when he came in. So he's no dummy. Obviously, the bulk of the episode is Sarah and Helena going on a road trip to Cold River, which is what we saw at the end of episode five. And when she's in the bar, Helena, that is, doesn't the guy mention Sioux Falls? Oh, you thinking that's where Cold River is? I guess Sioux Falls, South Dakota. So again, is it is it important? Probably not in the big picture. There so. are some pretty big distances being dealt with, though. I mean, I know she said that uh, sometimes they say, oh, it's two and a half hours away or, or that kind of thing. So they're definitely on some pretty sizable road trips, um, yeah. not just not just in this episode, but also with Cal and other things like that. So, Right. Well, I think the biggest thing that we see during this road trip, especially at the beginning, is that the sisters are really beginning to bond. And, you know, they're both warming. And, and Sarah especially, they are camping in a tent. And, and we'll just say that uh, Helena eats a lot of canned beans. <laughs> Yeah, she's got an iron gut. As and you can ins- insert your jokes from there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true, too. Right. But I think one of the funniest scenes is as they're riding down the road and Helena starts playing with the radio and, and Sarah's like, pick a station and eventually turns the radio off. She turns it back on and what comes on but possibly the worst song ever, Sugar, <laughs> Sugar. Yeah. yeah. And she knows the words. <laughs> It's like that scene in, in Revolution where Aaron says that we built the city on rock and roll is the worst song. No, no. Sugar, sugar is the worst song yeah. in the world. But uh, of course it's sugar, sugar. Because Helena with her sweet tooth. It's right. just so appropriate. Right. And and Sarah mentions to her, geez, you act like you've never been in a car. And she says, well, I've never been on a road trip. And really telling, I've only been told where to go and what to do. Yeah, so she's been on the road because she had to get to Katya to kill her from wherever she came originally. So, but this is the first time she's been on it in a kind of leisurely way. Right. So, you know, they track Duncan to the church in the photo. Uh, We find out that it was Maggie Chen that had been actually tracking Duncan. And Sarah goes inside and is looking around the church, sees the photo on the wall. The church worker comes up to her and somehow she gets her way down into the yeah, that was kind of surprising. The, yeah, because the woman said no at first. Yeah, and then all of a sudden there were no holds barred. <laughs> right. But yeah, there, I don't know what the connection is between the church and the Cold River Institute, because it's not the same building, but obviously uh, Helena remembered it from when she was working with Maggie Chen, and she may have only known the church and the term Cold River Institute and not how they tie it together, but certainly the archives in the church deal with this old building, which might not even exist anymore. What on earth possessed Sarah to think that Helena would stay in the car? <laughs> you stay here. Yeah, exactly. She And the thing is, she was going to be gone for quite a while. Yeah. So yeah, there's no way Helena's going to sit still. Yeah. I mean, she took the keys and, and she sat still for all of about 15 seconds. So she goes into a bar and you know, we know that Paul's watching because we saw him at the campsite. Yeah, he's been tracking them this whole way. And it's surprising, actually, that Mark also was able to track them because we didn't see him along the way. Right. Well, he's a Boy Scout, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so she's got, she's in the bar. She's got eight different, I think it's eight. It's either eight or seven. I was, I was thinking, is, it, is the number to coincide with the number of known clones? 
but <laughs> Dave. <laughs> I know, I know. Go on. Well, wait but, a minute though. Also, my question is: Does she, where is she getting the money? Is she holding up a credit card here? <laughs> gosh, now you're sounding like me with uh, Kira Cameron. She just kind of just took one of everything: two shots, a tequila sunrise. She got a white Russian there, <laughs> which is which appropriate. She, which which she gave to uh, the guy she was talking to at the bar. Uh, but that was not before she sprained. It's not broken, you big baby. Uh, <laughs> that guy's finger. And look, I actually thought there for a few minutes that this might go well in the bar. Uh, yeah. The the whole relationship with her and Jesse. <laughs> just, well, just the whole, you know, the whole thing. I mean, I, okay. Obviously, she meets this guy at the bar. And, and I think one of the things we see in this episode is that she's gradually becoming more human as she's had her restraints removed. And has she ever had any kind of a relationship with a boy or a man? And likely not. Well, as evidenced by her having to make up her past by making a patchwork of all her sister's pasts. Yeah, and that was pretty good, pretty pretty clever, pretty quick. Yeah. Um, she was a police detective at one point. She was a scientist. <laughs> so, but, but I will say she sure can drink. Yeah, uh, she can hold her own. She absolutely can. And, and all right, so they're doing shots, they're arm wrestling and all that, and they're ready to do the final one when that slow song comes on and Jesse wants to dance. And, you know, they dance, and then the next thing, uh, I think they need to get a room. <laughs> That's right. And I don't think it was much of a transition for Helena to go from getting her passions riled up to suddenly being violent. Right. Like, there wasn't a transition that, that was needed because I think it comes from the same source in Helena. So she went right into, I am getting pleasure also out of poking this guy's eyes out. <laughs> yeah. Wow. How about that? Um, <laughs> but she sure, certainly can defend herself, but we knew that. She gets arrested and... Somehow they decide not to press charges. I'm not sure exactly why that was. Well, but... first of all, the guy who instigated it, why did he think he needed to instig put himself back into the mix again? Jesse had clearly won and he didn't he didn't want anything to do with it. So I think he was probably just had his ego bruised and maybe gotten a lot of bar fights himself over the days. So perhaps that's why he didn't press charges. Yeah, probably right. So while all this is going on though, Sarah's down in the archives and creepy 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 um she certainly gets creeped out when you know just probably something's running through the pipes or the electrical system goes on but it certainly yeah scares her uh told that peckham was looking at records from 1910 1920 yeah that that really goes back a long ways and they were doing eugenics yeah other things that were precursors to cloning if you think about it or certainly precursors to the neolutionist idea well, you know, and when the woman says what you see here won't leave you, at first I'm thinking she meant you're not going to take anything with you, but clearly that's not what she meant, that what you see is going to be so disturbing. Right. <laughs> it's not going to leave you. Exactly. Yeah, that's how I took it. Yeah. And uh, so she finds a photo and, and determines that Duncan was at the Cold River Institute. So the plot thickens there for sure. That's right. And uh, when she's actually getting all this information is when the fight happens at the bar. And what's very curious to me is that obviously Helena was not, was only instrumental in getting her to this point. And so she didn't really need Helena anymore, but to just abandon Helena and just count on art to spring her from prison. I mean, 
does it bother Sarah? Does it bother Helena that her sister abandoned her? Because clearly she ended up with Mark and, and Gracie and all them. So yeah, that was a kind of a, a, a tough thing to see when they had just started to make those bonds. Yeah. And if I'm going to make an excuse for Sarah, I guess it, it's that Helena understands how convoluted and complex this whole situation is and how far reaching it is. I mean, I think she's certainly smart enough to know that it goes beyond leaky. And also I think Helena to a certain extent is curious about moving forward, you know, what's going to go on with her babies and things like that. So, right now the other funny thing at the bar though, is when, you know, you mentioned Mark coming in and Mark and Paul are there at the bar and they're going through this whole, you know, well, is she worth dying over? And it's like, finally, like, listen, you take your girl, I'll take mine. Everybody's happy. <laughs> Except uh, <laughs> Paul rightfully says, hey, good luck with that, brother. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Anyway, so that obviously transpires. And Sarah learns that there are some photos and records that are missing. And it's pretty likely that Maggie Chen is the one that took them, which but- means that obviously then Felix and art have them. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. They, they must have what she took from there. Your sister came to bail you out. And obviously we're expecting Sarah to walk around the corner. Not the case. Another uh, sister of sorts, uh, Gracie. <laughs> and you know, again, uh, I don't want to say of all the characters, she's the most puzzling because you could say that about almost every character, but I don't get her. Yeah. Well, especially since, was she sent here? Was she, is she doing this of her own accord or is she being forced to? Because she certainly seems more sympathetic. And the fact that Helena recognizes that she had her mouth sewn shut as a procedure that happens in the Prolethians. I mean, apparently Helena had that done to her in her past as well. Right. Or is she just doing it because if she doesn't, she's going to be the one that's going to be carrying these eggs. Exactly. Exactly. Gracie shows up, the police station takes, tells Helena she'll take her to her children. Then Mark shows up and she finally says, take me to my babies. And, you know, there we go. All right. So uh, now here's, here's where I start to get a little confused. And uh, Sarah goes to this rundown house and she's been on the phone. Now, this is the last known address of Peckham. So Art said that the nearest Peckham that they could find was about two and a half hours away from where they are. Okay. So that's Peckham's house, and that's how she's pointed in that direction. Who answers the door? (laughs) Yeah, it's like she's going there to say, hey, I just had a few questions about Project Lita, but wait a minute, Mrs. S, what are you doing here? Right, and she's got the gun behind her back, and clearly she's not expecting Sarah. No. And, you know, we, again, we get a lot of reveals in this episode. She tells her that Duncan came over to our side. I think she says, what, 20 years ago? Yeah. And our side, I guess, would not necessarily be the bird watchers specifically, but certainly Mrs. S and Carlton and the ones that weren't bought out later by the Prolethians. Right. And we find out that who everybody's afraid of is Dr. Leakey. Yeah. So, yeah, what a surprise, because Rachel has taken the forefront of the evil queen in our eyes. Right. And Leaky had started to become more sympathetic. But it makes more sense once they tell us that the Neolutionists within Dyad are the ones that we need to be worried about. Right. So Sarah knows that Leaky's the dangerous one. Mm-hmm. She hasn't let Seema know that yet. Right. And isn't she just also now finding out that Kasima is sick? Yes. So, yeah, there's a lot of secrets that are coming out between the clones. 
So yeah, that's how, how's that going to play out? I wonder. Yeah. Now the other thing that I liked was that Duncan didn't appear to be this, uh, you know, this bumbling, crazy scientist that really has little clue because the first thing he knows is, you know, he almost anticipates what she's going to ask him. Mm -hmm. I don't know how many there are. Right. Right. Uh, you know, well, were... that's interesting. The fact that there are more than one, what did they call it? Um, implant teams. What was the name of it? Yeah. Yeah. We weren't the only implant team, he says. Yeah. That, and that was interesting because I guess I did think that there was some sort of origin point here, but right. there, there's even more. Right. And so we don't know if there are other eggs, other clones. I mean, obviously we've got the ones that look like you know, the clones that we know, but we find out just what we suspected is that the military is involved. The military is the one that recruited the Duncans. Whatever the spindle protein problem was, Susan cracked it. Right. So maybe that was what led to the success of uh, Sarah and Helena, so right. presumably Helena as well. Right. And I mean, Sarah brings up the point that I think every scientist from, you know, Oppenheimer to Einstein has been asked. It's like, well, didn't you anticipate what your discovery was going to do? And he explains to her, he goes, you don't understand. It's like, you know, you get that close, you're not going to stop. And he, the one thing that puzzles me is the fact that she questions him, what did you want? And he just says, we just wanted babies, little girls. Yeah. So what's that? I mean, is I, it? Yeah. That's not a very clear goal. Well, unless it's, it started something as simple as he and his wife weren't able to have children of their own. Could be. And this is what they wanted. That, and, that drove them in their, in the science pursuit of science. Yeah. And you know, the whole thing about Rachel that we loved her. Yeah. Right. It wasn't us that took her away. It was. You know, leaky. Di- apparently leaky killed Susan. Maybe that's due to the, the fire in the lab or who knows, but. He was responsible, according to um, Duncan slash Peckham here. And so they're in fear of his life. I guess Leakey doesn't know that that um, he's still alive. Right. And, you know, he goes through this whole thing that, that he doesn't, he's not going to help. And, and Sarah pleads with him. And finally, she hits on the exact correct phrase. Your little girls are dying and you can help us now. Mm-hmm. And hopefully you know, he will. <laughs> and hopefully he will. Um, now, Siobhan knows Paul is outside and brings them the tea. And of course he won't drink it. So she (laughs) slugs back back a a sip. And, you know, I'm I'm just wondering, and and again, we still don't have a totally clear handle on whose side Siobhan is on. Or whose side Paul is on. Well, at this point, we know he's on Leaky's side. To me, the question is, is he going to stay on Leaky's side? Okay. Yeah. But I think uh, Siobhan brings up a point. If he's going to be working for Rachel and Leaky and playing them against each other, then a man with two masters answers only to himself. So maybe she's hoping to take advantage of the fact that he's got a sort of a certain amount of single-mindedness. You know, a lot of points brought up. You know, the significance of the Cold River Institute. You know, was this the precursor of the cloning experiments? You you mentioned the the whole idea of eugenics. Why is Donnie being such a dick? <laughs> I mean, how does that benefit Leaky, right? We assume he's working for Leaky. Yeah, so, keep, keeping her contained somehow, but for what? For what purpose? Yeah, I mean, it would seem to me it would work much better if he was nice to her. Yeah, because she already had signed the agreement. She was already placid. Yeah, I, I, I just don't get that. There's something about that that I think 
you know, we're going to see more of later. Uh, the other thing that occurred to me is that both Sarah and Gracie have tried to kill Helena. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, I think Helena is probably a target most of the time. My favorite thing that comes up in this one that I hadn't literally even been thinking about is when you tie in eugenics and neolutionism, uh, that had been off the table for a while. And it was kind of creepy when you had the guy with the tail and all the other stuff. So I'm glad to see that creeping back in now because we can't let Leaky get away with, you know, becoming a good guy. <laughs> no, absolutely not. So, uh, well, man, I'm telling you, you know, we're over halfway home. You know, I, I guess I almost was thinking like, oh, we're at the, we're at the midway point, 13 episodes, but no, we, we're only getting 10. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so we're, we're over halfway home and, uh, We'll see what we've got next week. So thanks for joining us. Mike and I will be back next week to discuss episode seven titled Knowledge of Causes and Secret Motion of Things. And if you'd like to send us some feedback, you can use SpeakPipe on either the Fatalist or the Liberate website. You can send an email to feedback at continuumpodcast.com or fatalistpodcast at gmail.com. And as always, you can feel free to leave a voicemail at 773-LIBERATE-8. And we'll see you next week. I threw my life in the old I'll see what you regret I never see you again But I've no more respect Please just leave me here